this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have have had actually on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today in Interlinks, we're going to check in on some of the major global regions, namely Europe, North America and Asia Pacific, to see what is going on and what is topical in supply chain. We're also going to touch on what companies are doing generally to overcome the challenges posed by inflation and the shortages of human resources that are kind of generalized across the major regions at the moment. And to discuss these topics, I'm delighted to be joined by two of my colleagues from the supply chain special interest group from the Society for the Advancement of Consulting. So that's Lisa Anderson, president of LMA Consulting Group from the Los Angeles metro area. Welcome, Lisa. Glad to be here. And David Ogilvy, principal at David Ogilvy Consulting in Brisbane, Australia. Welcome, David. Good to be with you again, Patrick. 2 a.m. in Australia, right? Yes, it is. That's right. Thanks. Thanks for being here. So we start with you, uh, Lisa, while David's waking up. Um, what is, <laughs> what's, what's topical in supply chain uh, in North America at the moment as we kind of come into the, the summer period? So what is hot as the temperature rises? <laughs> well, I would say that uh, we still have shortages and disruptions, um, but really inflation is is really a hot topic in supply chain. And also I'm seeing that manufacturing clients are worried about a potential recession in the future. And so they're starting to get very concerned about inventories and having too much inventory and uh, whatever too much is in quotes. <laughs> and certainly they're still having problems finding people. So there, there's still plenty of uh, challenges uh, in the supply chain in the US. Yeah. So uh, do you think the fears of recession are founded? You know, like there's there's full employment and probably there's demand for 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 more. So, you know, people are earning money. So, you know, what's do you think it's is it founded or what? Do you think? Well, uh, what it appears like is, is that at some point we will have a recession. It's just the timing, It you know, from, you know, the 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 financial pundits seem to think like late this year or early next year. So I think that the, they're probably overreacting on the other hand, they're they're The smart clients are, are looking at how do I reduce inventory in a smart way so they can still support customer needs, but they don't have any excess inventory that's unnecessary. So I guess that's the question is how do you figure out what's unnecessary and what is necessary to grow the business? Cause I do think there'll be more opportunities in the next couple of years than there than there have been ever before, except for perhaps uh, since the Great Great Depression, uh, when more uh, companies uh, set themselves up for success for the following uh, for the decades to come um, than at any other time in history. So I think there'll be an opportunity like that, which means that you have to have product in order to be able to support that type of sales growth um, as your competition is, um, you know, dwindling. Yeah. However. What is that product, and you know how do you how do you manage that successfully? Is the trick. So, I long long answer to your question, Patrick. But I do think a recession is coming. But does that mean that they should be cutting back on inventory? It depends, okay. and what what type of inventory. And uh, David, what's uh, going on in Asia Pacific? So uh, you're in you're in your mid winter, I guess. So you're at the other end of the seasonal cycle, at least. So what's uh, what's happening down there? Very similar uh, situation, Patrick, although our inflation rate's not as bad as the US. <clears throat> um, I don't think there's any doubt our, um, uh, our Reserve Bank, 
or your federal, the American Federal Reserve here, um, has has miscalculated uh, interest rates and so forth to try and get um, inflation under control. But we're not in the same situation as, as the US, at least not yet. Uh, companies are, are experiencing very similar things in, in many ways. Um, inventory is still uh, an issue. Um, rates for containers and and slots in ports are still still a challenge, um, although they they seem to be easing. Um, I was with a client on Friday and uh, we were talking about uh, fertilizer. They sell, they buy and sell a lot of fertilizer, and um, you know the comment was, "No fertilizer is uh, much easier to get at the moment." By by G, it's um, it's very expensive. Um, so they don't, don't seem to be having a lot of problems getting that particular product at the moment, but the cost of getting it here and the cost of the product is significant. Um, like Lisa mentioned, I think a number of organisations have had the knee-jerk reaction and they've just bought up a lot of stock uh, when things got uh, got difficult, uh, got tight. Um, and I think um, that knee-jerk reaction has created um, significant bullwhip effect throughout the, the whole supply chain in all sorts of different industries. And as people start to get a better handle on that, the whip is, seems to be uh, settling uh, somewhat. So... Um, very similar. To, I got a very similar opinion to Lisa. I think there are great opportunities coming. I do believe we are probably going to be in for some stagflation. I've been predicting that for a little while now. I'm no economic guru, but just you know, speaking to people on the ground. But having said that, like you mentioned before, Patrick, there are people in restaurants, and now you know, I cannot get a booking in a restaurant at, at my local area at the moment. There are just so many people out and about now. Whether that's a result of being locked up out of COVID and people are still enjoying their freedoms and, and all that sort of stuff, who, who's to know? But the, you know, clearly they've got money to spend uh, now. Whether it's on the credit card or not. Um, I guess is a personal issue, but um, I do believe that we the tightening of 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 the inflationary environment, the interest rates that are coming, uh, are going to put a number of um, mid management people under stress that they've never experienced before. Mm. Yeah, I think that's very true here too. Stagflation yeah. is a very real possibility. Now I wonder about stagflation because I remember the last bout of stagflation. And two of the characteristics of it that we don't have now uh, are that there was very high unemployment. So there was um, there was a lack of demand and um, <coughs> there were constraints in the economy that we don't have uh, now in terms of, you know, lack of technology uh, practices, much stronger labor unions and, and so on. So it was very difficult for the economy to to flex and to adapt yep. to the changing situation. And those two situations we don't have now. We have this kind of strange supply side shortage caused by COVID on the one hand, which seems to have affected the labor market and the war on the other hand, which is affecting commodities, particularly fuel and, and, and energy. So there are some interesting similarities and interesting differences between, say, the 70s, 80s and the, and the 2020s. What do, what's, your Shanghai, take, uh, what's your take on those similarities and differences? Well, I think you're, I think you're right, Patrick. I, I think the the um, unemployment rate is low, and that is probably going, if 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 that remains that way, uh, that'll be the saving grace, because I think we're just about to enter under four percent, maybe if we're not yet. Yeah, same here. Same. But but, ha but having said that, we've we've just had a change of government, and that's got a, a very different flavour to it here. Um, so it's it's a more um, 
it's a more Labor-favoured uh, government here, and there are there is significant potential for um, unemployment to to increase soon. Um, so that would probably be the the the, the foundational block to, to determine whether uh, stagflation occurs or not will be the unemployment rate, um, because you know we could find ourselves in certainly inflationary times because we're already there, um, and potentially uh, low growth environment, and that will will create the unemployment, which will then fill the, fill the gap and mm-hmm. give us all the conditions we need for that to occur. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I noticed, uh, Lisa, you were writing about this um, future opportunity for companies to get ready for uh, the, 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 the longer term. But you were also talking, in, I think, in that uh, piece about the uh, reshoring phenomenon from Asia mm-hmm. to, to America. So what's, what's going on there? What are, you, what are you seeing there? How's that progressing? I'm definitely seeing that companies are reshoring and nearshoring. So they're, you know, they're moving to the U.S., Mexico, and Latin America to support uh, U.S. uh, consumers, if you will, or, you know, U.S. demands. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not advertising it necessarily, though, because, like, I've had several media requests about this, and they asked me, like, can you put me in touch with a client? Well, what client wants to tell the world that they're reshoring or nearshoring because they're going to lose their supply in Asia? That makes no sense at all. So, you know, a lot of this is going on quietly, mm. um, relatively speaking. Mm. So, you know, it's going to be tricky. Um, and, I, and some of it is in the news. So, like, you know, I, I was talking about the chip uh, computer chip production, it went from, I mean, the U.S. once upon a time, several years ago, but we produced 40% of the computer chips we need. Now we only produce 12%. Uh, we are starting to add some capacity back, um, but it's like a drop in the bucket compared to what we need, especially with all the technology needs, et cetera. And that's just one industry. So I think, you know, it's happening, but there's a vast opportunity. Um, you know, it, it's like a drop in the bucket compared to what needs to need happen, I guess you could say, to support our demand. It depends, of course, on what happens in Asia, if there's like conflicts between Taiwan and China and, you know, what all goes on in the world. But by all means, uh, reshoring is happening, but probably not at a fast enough pace um, overall is what I would say. Yeah, I, I, yeah. This, I guess that, that, that reshoring phenomenon, uh, I, I remember reading um, books. There's a specialist in globalization. He's an Indian-American author, academic, and uh, books of his written in 2015, 2016. And he was already seeing then in the data a kind of a a shift in globalization into a a form of regionalization even then. So that has been, I guess, accelerated by the recent shocks that we've had and now there's kind of a, a requirement to speed it up but it's it's difficult so if you have a thousand people in a factory in 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 china and you want to reshore it or nearshore it and we've just been talking about labor shortages you're not going to be able to hire 20 people here never mind the thousand people so yeah. um, you're, you're yeah. going to have to change you're going to have to change almost the manufacturing strategy right if you want to bring it back right. Yeah. Right. You're going to need to automate more and utilize more technology. And and you are going to need people, though, and you're going to need some higher skilled people. So, yeah, you are going to have to change strategy, but you also are going to have to. I mean, Shanghai has been was shut down for a few months. So, you know, like there's a lot of issues going on throughout the world. And it's made at least the smart uh, executives think 
Like they need to start doing something now if they plan to be around in a few years. Mm. And (laughs) the the family business owners in the U.S. perhaps don't like care in quotes because they're just thinking, I'm going to sell this business and move on like to my retirement. Yeah. David, you were going to say something? Yeah, only that uh, we've got similar pressures here. There's a lot of talk, particularly with the new government, of course, um, about what they're going to do for the manufacturing industries in Australia and so forth. But I've I've said this a number of times on our podcast over over the time. I I think what's going to stop that happening here in Australia is the cost of energy. Um, We've got a situation at the moment uh, where my hometown in Brisbane, uh, we nearly had to have um, uh, load shedding because the the market had got out of control and, and, and it was just too expensive. Um, and um, we were nearly having blackouts. So the cost of energy is a huge driver in this country, and I don't believe that we've got the energy policy from either government that's going to give us um, a satisfactory level of cost of of energy for manufacturers to to, to really thrive in this country. Mm. So that means they have to find other ways of, of, of getting the... Uh, uncertainty and the disruptions out of their supply chain, it, then it, we're not going to be able to do what they do in America and that's bring it back, at least not in the, in the short term. Yeah. yeah. Well, that brings up a really good point, Patrick, because the cost of energy is causing changes in the U.S. as well, because states like California that have policies more similar to Australia, they, people are, manufacturers are leaving in droves and they're moving to the states that have friendlier cost of energy uh, policies. So the states that are benefiting are places like uh, Texas, maybe? Yep, Texas, Tennessee are the two top ones. Um, But, you know, uh, North Carolina, you know, lots of uh, the South is benefiting uh, quite, quite well. And actually from California, like Arizona is benefiting, uh, you know, and some other places on the in the West Coast that are um, that have friendlier policies to business. It's not just energy, but like California has the worst energy costs in the US. So that's like a big one, but there's many other policies that uh, inhibit business uh, that uh, are, you know, are in addition to energy. Yeah, yes. well, our, our government's just going to, um, uh, they're pushing down the green road um, substantially more. And un- until um, that industry can prove itself that it's going to give us reliable um, supply at, at, a, at a cheap cost, uh, and without getting political about it, I'm not sure that's going to happen anytime soon. Um, then we're just looking down the barrel of, of higher and higher costs and manufacturers have got some serious decisions to make in this country. So we might be more um, attuned to nearshoring. So get it out of China, but somewhere else, maybe maybe India, maybe Vietnam, maybe Mexico. Mm. But I don't think it's going to come back here. 93.9, Dublin South FM. What's uh, Australia's uh, relationship economically to Indonesia? Because that's probably your nearest and largest uh, neighbour in the region, is that right? Yes, it is. Um, and they're certainly um, both a, 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 close, um, a close country where we do a lot of trade with. So, you know, always the new Prime Minister, their first overseas trip is to Indonesia, and that's happened again this time. Yeah, uh, the yeah. first trip he went overseas was to Indonesia. So, yes, they are, they are a very uh, key ally, um, but they also are a key threat because um, Indonesia um, is not always uh, the friendliest country uh, towards us militarily, so there is there is there is a um, always a, a, an underlying threat from Indonesia. So it's a, it's a double edged coin that one. But, but, but the, uh, yes, the, sorry, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, certainly Indonesia and Malaysia are, are again another two areas. Um, Indonesia has got the lower uh, labour costs. Um, some parts of Malaysia not so much, but 
in the other parts it does. <clears throat> so they are all, also uh, options for, for, for manufacturers. Yeah, and uh, Indonesia is a really uh, an up and coming country, massive population. Um, yes. And as the as the affluence grows there, it could be a great market also for Australia, particularly Correct. I guess in services as well as um, advanced the, products. The challenge with Indonesia, of course, is is freight because it's it's a multitude of islands. Yes, it's just yes. not one landmass. Yeah. Actually, I was in uh, Amsterdam um, last week, and um, interesting that uh, uh, the Netherlands was the colonial power in in Indonesia. So yes. Amsterdam is full of Indonesian restaurants, and uh, we went we went to one. It was fabulous. The food was really really good. I'm sure I'm sure you've you've tasted it many times, David. Well, that that's one of the good parts about Darwin because it's so close to there. They, they they get a lot, and it's the food scene in Darwin's quite good. Yeah, interestingly, on the the freight question. Um, in Amsterdam, I was attending an event, um, it was a supply chain event, and there were a number of delegates there from Maersk, who, as you know, were one of the, the major shipping lines. And apparently they have a lot of uh, new capacity coming on uh, next year, um, which I guess, depending on how other things go in the market, it may help to ease um, uh, the rates. They will, of course, be taking capacity out with ships that are that are obsolete. So the new ships that are coming in will be more... Um, um, environmental, uh, environmentally, um, uh, or more environment friendly, let's say, and more. They got a big battery, have they, Patrick? Sorry, they got a big battery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or well, I, I don't think they're electric yet. That we'll probably see that in the in the no. future. But they're they're more efficient in their use of um, of liquid liquid uh, fuels and um, carbon based fuels. Um, but there was an interesting conversation um, uh, sprang up about their relationship, how they're going to play the market when when that happens, because they've been really making a lot of money in uh, over the last year or so, and um, how they're going to adjust their rates um, in the future when the, when the capacity comes on. So they said what they said anyway is that they're very interested and they've made some headway in having kind of different types of strategic relationships with their uh, with their customers um, as opposed to maybe how it was in the past so we'll see we'll see whether that lasts after um after more capacity comes on and rates perhaps begin to diminish well that, yeah there's a lot of companies around uh that have made the the, the most of the, the current disruptions and and have have looked at their margins and you know everybody's improved their profitability but i, I suppose the new ships that raises the questions we might have new slots to put containers in but do we have the containers to put in there yeah yeah right um, another, uh, I suppose, looking at the, the the projects I'm working on kind of gives an idea of what the issues are around here. So I was I was looking across um, some of my projects. One is to do with switching of transportation modes, particularly from road to rail, and one of the drivers of that is to decrease um, carbon emissions. So a lot of the companies who are interested in in that are very concerned about fuel, fuel costs, fuel consumption, uh, carbon emissions, and so on. So that's a that's a big hot topic here. And Europe's under, a, of all the regions, it's probably the region that's under most pressure with regard to energy um, and regard to dependence on Russia, particularly in, in Germany and Austria and some of the Eastern countries. And Germany, which has very green credentials in, in general, is actually considering going back to coal yeah. as a temporary um, stopgap measure to get through uh, the next the next period. Some of the other projects I'm I'm working on, um, there's a lot of automation in them, and I guess that's driven by issues to do with uh, labour availability. 
Um, one is um, in the distribution sector, which is to um, automate order picking because I think difficulty getting getting people in that in that space. And um, another is with regard to um, streamlining organizations and improving productivity. And that's again because of difficulties in, in finding and retaining people in logistics type uh, operations. All, all, all around the world, I guess. I was, I was also listening to um, uh, an economist recently who had an interesting take on what's going on with labor. So he was saying, we have this phenomenon now where we have um, full employment. So there are more people in employment in this country now than there ever were, but there are lots of vacancies in, 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 in companies. Um, more than there were before. So you're going, well, what's going on there? So it seems what he was saying is what's happening is that people are employed. They're just not employed by companies. Um, they don't want to work for companies anymore. So people are, are, are leaving and uh, setting up on their, on their own, uh, doing, doing their own thing. Um, and I guess we, we're, we're probably examples of, of that. A lot of us are kind of exactly. refugees from companies, but we're probably ahead of the game. We've been doing this for maybe a decade or two decades at, at this stage. So I was actually thinking, I'll see what, you, what, what your take is on this idea. I was thinking that in the future, we might see a situation where project uh, where companies work differently. So um, internally, they'll have lots of automation and they'll have small uh, teams of people who will be there to run the steady state. But then when they need to do projects, it'll almost be like making a movie. You know, that, that, that there's, there's, a, there's a, a promoter or a producer of the movie and they pull together business. all of these specialists. Business by contractor. Yeah, and they come in and they do they do the project, then they disappear, and then they may come again together, the same team or a different team for another company or for the same company. What do you, what do you think of that kind of future? Do you think we're looking at something like that? I, I don't think so. No? No, I don't think so. I, your, your, core, your core business is like your supply chain managers and your, and your inventory controllers and those sorts of things. They need to have industry experience. They need to understand the business. They need to understand the seasonality and, and, and those sorts of things. If you're coming and going, mm. you, you'll be constantly learning, you know, what's the current environment that I'm working in. I, I think they need some consistency and around around the knowledge of the, of the of the product and the business and those sorts of things. I think yeah. that'd be... What do you sorry, think? Sorry, I interrupted. Well, I, th I think they need a, a base set of people, to, to David's point, that can... Um, you know, that's familiar with the business that's there in the business. But I do think that in addition to that, the, the like the more successful clients are the ones that are, you know, like I've had several clients bringing, bringing us on to, to help them improve their processes or implement technology and, you know, make things better. But in the meantime, um, we've done some fill-in type of work as well to help them bridge gaps. Um, and so I see them doing that, but you know, you can't bridge a gap and then just keep it that way where you have teams of people coming in to run the day-to-day. -day. So I think it's more, they have to have, like David said, like people who are gonna run the day-to-day, -day, but um, folks, they are gonna rely more on outside help to bridge gaps and improve processes, which, you know, can kind of be done in concert with one another is what I'm thinking. Yeah, it's astonishing. I didn't realize this, but at the event as well, we had the demonstration of uh, an AI tool uh, for supply chain. And it's um, 
it's kind of a, an approach to use um, decision intelligence over over planning. So this this AI, if you like, um, scans over all of the applications that are working um, in, a, in a business. So you could have a transport management system, a warehouse management system, um, a manufacturing execution system, ERP, the whole thing. And this thing is going over uh, all of that and extracting data. And it's making um, uh, decisions. And it's suggesting then actions to managers to, to carry out based on the analysis that it's done. But then also it's learning and it's feeding back into that. And then some of those decisions, instead of saying, listen, here are some options to do it, you can, you can simply automate those decisions. So we may see a lot of what people do now becoming actually automated and where people intervene is in very high-end type uh, uh, decisions. So, you know, that, that, yeah. that, 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 may be, that may be the future. Well, I definitely think technology is going to help to minimize the number of people that you need. And like you said, you're going to end up needing more of the higher skilled uh, folks to review information and, and uh, you know, make adjustments. So yeah. it's going to create a whole new set of challenges for, you know, how anyone gets to that point of being having the high end skills yeah. <laughs> without uh, going through the basics. So I don't know how that will happen. But sure. so, so I've had a, I've had a, a client um have a, a small uh, prototype project in AI, particularly around uh, forecasting and so forth, uh, with one of the big um, software vendors. They've got an AI tool on on their platform and so forth. Um, and they've uh, they in the end they canned that project. It wasn't delivering the results that they thought it would. Uh, I must admit, I I actually think AI has got more applications in the medical field. Um, around diagnosis of diseases and those sorts of things. It seems to be um, making really solid uh, advancements in that space. Whereas when I'm seeing AI being applied to, to the business environment, I'm not 100% sure it's going to be as productive or as, as, uh, as valuable. Okay. Well, then maybe uh, just as we come into the last couple of minutes, just like to ask you, are you, uh, you, you reading or listening to anything inspiring at the moment? Have you been to any events? Um, anything you can, you can share with us there, Lisa? Uh, well, I mean, I went to a uh, a uh, logistics uh, and e-commerce summit recently, uh, and in this area, because uh, I'm in Southern California, there's there was a lot of conversations about you know we've made actually tremendous progress when it comes to being energy efficient and green. However, the the uh, rules and regulations are outpacing, uh, strangely enough, the ability for um, for folks to um, to meet those needs. So basically, if they really hold the law, if you will, and what they've said they're going to do, at least in California, like we won't have, like we're going to lose at least half our truckers going to the ports to pick up product, um, you know, in tw early 2023, which would obviously be a disaster. So I don't know, but I think that we're, you know, in in places like California, we're coming in for a big clash <laughs> between the ability to keep businesses moving and and flowing, and you know the the green energy goals and how quickly they can be achieved. Because mm -hmm. uh, you know, like even autonomous vehicles, they're making really good progress. However, it's not ready for prime time, if you yeah. will. Yeah. So um, it's gonna, still going to take longer. Basically, is what is what uh, that conference was saying and. Yeah, there are There's a lot still, of, a lot still of, uh, lots of challenges out there from a supply chain point of view. We're facing we're facing a lot of crunches. Um, what about yes. you, David? Are you uh, reading or listening to anything inspiring at the moment, or been to any good events? 
Well, the event I went to recently was the manufacturing uh, uh, conference down in Sydney. Um, so that was it was good to see that back uh, in 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 train. Um, it's, we've got the one in Melbourne again next year. But I must admit, I've been busy organising my own events. So my executive lunches and things have been keeping me busy in, in that space. Um, from um, a book's perspective, I haven't read any work-related books lately. Um, I picked up uh, one on on I think it was your recommendation. Um, on the history of the world, uh, Tom Holland and uh, yes, yeah. So I'm finding that quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, he, he's he's making the point about how Western civilization owes so much to Christian philosophy. Really, isn't that mm. what he's saying? And that it comes from even before Christ. So Christian philosophy comes from before Christ. So that's yeah. I guess that's a that's an interesting way to uh, end the podcast on uh, on supply chain talking about Christian philosophy, but. <laughs> there, there we are so uh thanks again guys for uh for joining us it's been a pleasure as as always and uh look forward to having you back here next month um thanks also to our listeners for tuning in and uh, you can find the interlinks podcast on itunes spotify acast and other podcast platforms any comments or questions just drop me a line on pdaily p-d-a-l-y at albalogistics.com so in the meantime keep well stay safe and see you next time